Hello everyone, welcome to our third episode of We Do Talk About That Here. We are the advocates from Safe Place Sexual Assault Center and we started this podcast as a way to talk about subjects that might normally be considered taboo. We often hear things like, that's a sensitive subject, or we can't talk about that here. But during this podcast, nothing is off the table. We're not doctors, psychologists, or attorneys. We're just advocates from a sexual assault center who think it's time to talk about sensitive subjects. Please consult a medical, therapist, or legal professional for advice on any of these topics. This is Nicole and Irina. Hi, everyone. With a special guest today. We have Beth. Hi, everybody. From our domestic violence team. This month is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, so in honor of Domestic Violence Awareness Month, we'll be talking about domestic violence and all that that entails because we do talk about domestic violence here. So first, I, I want to just get to know Beth a little bit more. Aww, I mean, I know, thanks. I know we know you, but yes, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself and about what you do and who you're with. Well, I don't know where you're listening from, uh, this podcast, where you're listening to it from, but I we are located in southeastern Indiana, and I was born and raised here, so I'm kind of a hometown girl. And uh, that makes it very special to be uh, working here and really investing into the community in a great way. But I actually have the gift of getting to walk to work from home. I live that close now, so that's pretty fun. And my role here at Safe Passage is um, actually, I, I know this is a Safe Place podcast. Safe Passage is the sister company. Uh, the domestic violence side of it. And I am a case manager for both Ohio County and Dearborn County here in southeastern Indiana. Fantastic. So so what do you mean by a case manager? What, what does that look like? Well, every person that comes in, male or female, whoever the victim is of domestic violence, uh, is an individual. They've been through their own unique situation and they have their own unique needs. And so they're treated like an individual. And uh, to case manage that, I listen to what it is, uh, their story is, the history, what they want to get out of meeting me, and then I help them with those goals and how do we get there from here. I love that. Thanks. So something I always like to ask is, what made you interested in this role or what do you love about this role? Well, I love this role. Uh, The thing that made me interested in it is I have a friend uh, who actually now is my boss, so that's a pretty fun story, but I was able to sit with her in different meetings and just in conversation and see the passion she had for what she was doing, how it had filled her life, and I was in a job that was, to be perfectly honest, I was earning a living. I was earning a really good living, but I wasn't really making a life and making a difference. And I just saw this passion that existed in her. And at this point in my life, I wanted that for myself. So that was what kind of drew me to this. I was actually then lucky enough that there was an opening in Safe Passage. And she and I were able to have that conversation. I think I actually got to meet you, Nicole, during that (laughs) process. So that was one of our first introductions. And... um, I, I, I was fortunate enough to get the job. I feel really blessed and lucky. And I honestly didn't know what to expect, but everyone has 
just been advocates to me as well, raising me up in the job. And uh, I just really enjoy, you asked me what I love about the job. I love feeling like every day is different. Every person is unique. And the hope that I get to have some small impact, some small seed planted in changing their future. Awesome. Thanks. I think that's so amazing. And I know that that's something that I really love about Safe Place and Safe Passage is that every single person who works here and volunteers here just has that passion for working with each individual and being that positive impact on anyone's life. So I I really love that. So something else that I want to say before we dive into DB is that Beth is kind of an airwave superstar around here. (laughs) Don't be humble. (laughs) She is. So, um, you know, Beth has been on the radio a few times talking about domestic violence, and she's also been on another podcast by Rock Solid Families. Um who, if you know or don't know about them, they are an incredible organization here in St. Leon, Indiana, and they just do some great work. Their podcast is a great listen. I, I listened to your episode, Beth, before well, this. thanks. Um, and You're it was fantastic. <laughs> now I am going to be humble. You girls are being silly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I, I definitely want to encourage any listeners to also give her a listen on her other platforms as well, whether it's Rock Solid Families podcast or the radio for some more amazing content. We're going to try and give you some different content from that so you can have some variety. Sure. um, (laughs) That's what we're looking at coming up. (laughs) All right. Thank you. I look forward to our conversation now. Fantastic. So since it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I'm wondering if you could just start off by walking us through domestic violence. Domestic violence is one of these, um, I'm going to say multifaceted, but it's has so many little intricate details and nuances. I said before that everyone is an individual every piece of domestic violence is um, unique to that situation but it does have some common themes the thing that i think makes people not be as forthcoming maybe about domestic violence is the very word violence Mm -hmm. they think that what's happened to them isn't as scary as maybe someone who was punched or strangled or kicked or hit. I don't have a bruise. But um, domestic violence really starts with words. It starts with being not kind to someone, uh, using words to hurt their feelings, to make them feel less than, maybe make them feel stupid. And that's called verbal abuse. It, It is a hallmark of domestic violence. And then that grows into psychological abuse or emotional abuse and my um, I guess most comfortable way for me to explain that to people is verbal abuse is what somebody is saying to you but eventually the psychological and emotional abuse becomes the conversation you have in your head you know you don't feel comfortable making a decision because I'm too stupid to do that or oh my gosh I can't believe I did that Um, maybe I am so fat or I am so ugly I could never get a job, though that kind of conversation that you start having in your own head. 
And um, once you start maybe believing those things about yourself, um, some of the boundaries that you allow in your life, some of the ways you allow people to treat you, becomes very different than someone who has not tolerated that in their life. So I'm kind of curious in hearing you say that if someone comes up to you and says, you know, well, they never hit me. Right. What, what do you say to that or, or what is your reaction to that? Um, I, I think that um, hitting and kicking, slapping, biting, all those things are physical. Um, they very often leave marks, but those marks such as a bruise can heal. But once that language in your brain changes and um, you start hearing yourself talk to yourself that way, that is abuse. And um, it does fall under the domestic violence category. If somebody says to me, he never laid his hands on me, but he controls your checkbook, he controls if you're allowed to have money, he controls if you're allowed to have a job, um, is very demanding and controlling of your life, that is domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And even if the person is just screaming all the time, for example, yes. if um, spouse, spouses and they, this, let's see that the guy starts screaming yes. his wife and yelling at her yes. and intimidating her, even that he doesn't touch her. So that is domestic violence. It is domestic violence, that sense of um, fear of that person, that sense you feel like you're always in trouble. We mm -hmm. talk about the cycle of violence and we talk about this feeling of living on eggshells mm -hmm. and you aren't really sure when that's going to break. So it may be they walk in the room, you can tell by the way they walk, you can tell by the way they talk, mm -hmm. a look in their face, um, just a body language that puts you on edge of fear. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. That is domestic violence. So I hear you talking about this cycle of violence, and I'm kind of curious what the other elements of that cycle are. Sure, sure. So we started, uh, if you can think of a wheel or a triangle. So I mentioned the living on eggshells, walking on eggshells. Uh, we move that over to what we call the battering event. And, um, you know, battering, domestic battery, domestic violence, immediately people think that there was, um, I, I hear people, he laid his hands on me. Mm. So the hitting, the kicking, the pushing, the shoving, but it may not necessarily be that. Like we just mm -hmm. talked about that event. Um, those, of course, are domestic violence, but that event could be exactly what you said, Irina, mm -hmm. the screaming, the yelling that fear and intimidation that's created. Um, we do oftentimes see that abuser or that batter then move to the third stage, which we call the honeymoon um, stage. Mm -hmm. So you think, you know, I'm so sorry, baby. I love you. Here's some flowers. I'll never do that again. Mm -hmm. I was stressed out. It's not my fault. And, you know, um, as women, we are very forgiving people. Yeah. We are. And so she um, accepts that apology, hopes for, you know, better. And, uh, but he may come in the door a week later, two weeks later, it doesn't matter. And she recognizes that same mm -hmm. body language, that same feeling that puts her right back on eggshells. And as time goes on, we see that mm -hmm. cycle of violence speed up. 
But it's difficult to break that, that cycle. I mean, if, if that person comes again two weeks and brings you flowers again and forgive me so you believe again, and that person can do it over and over and over. That's so when is the time that you think somebody's going to recognize that it's domestic violence? Well, eventually that honeymoon phase stops. He doesn't have to be sorry anymore. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I, I think we know as women, we were given this intuition. We know that we know that we know. And I don't know how else to explain it than that. But that's where uh, safe passage and safe place, kudos to you guys as well, are, um, are able to step in and fill that gap. You know, um, they're able to call us. We have the 24-hour hotline. And um, my favorite part of the hotline is, is that it's us. We don't transfer these calls to a hotline in Texas or California. When you call our hotline, you're gonna talk to one of us. Yes. I have to take my turn on the hotline. So um, you're going to get somebody that does this every day in this community, in this area, and they know what resources are available. They recognize the hallmark signs of domestic violence. So even if you're sitting here listening to this right now going, well, we did have a fight and I don't like the way he talked to me. What we ask, you know, kind of what's the pattern of this? Is it an isolated event? Or can you look back and say this has been going on for a while? And that pattern, usually if we're able to get some honest answers, we can look back and see that what they've been doing and saying is so they can have ultimate power and control over a victim. And when we're able to recognize those things, we know that we've got a domestic violence situation and that's where Safe Passage and Safe Place are able to start talking to that person about resources. Do you have enough money to leave? Do you need legal help? Do you need medical attention? Do you need help with kids' school? So we have all kinds of resources available once we're able to speak to that person and find out what their needs are to help them out of the situation. So it's not easy to leave. Absolutely not. Environment. It takes courage. It takes courage. And and we know that the average is women will leave an average of six times. They'll go back six times. And on the seventh time is the national average that they will actually stay gone. We know that. So we know how scary it is. We know how brave a woman is to even dial our um, toll-free number. Yeah, and it sounds like that kind of pattern of leaving and going back and leaving and going back coincides with that cycle of violence. Absolutely. As the honeymoon phase decreases, you know, we talked about that battering phase, that may be the time she flees. Um, Again, we talked about resources and uh, the abuser having power and control. So if the abuser has never allowed her to have, maybe she does have a job, but her paycheck goes directly into his account or she cashes it and gives it to him and I apologize I say she because most of our clients are women but our services are absolutely available to any victim of domestic violence male female regardless of gender gender identity or uh, sexual orientation but um, I so I apologize for using the word she but that is somewhat habitual for me Well, I think that's a good thing to bring up, and I'm curious why you think that our clients are mostly women. 
Um, I think it. this is a, an opinion. I'm sure there's statistics out there, certainly available. But um, I do think maybe some gender roles that are accepted mm. in our culture. In southeastern Indiana, um, we may be a little bit more conservative than other parts of the country. And I think um, every... I, this may sound really, um, I'm, I'm older, so I know you all can't see me on the podcast, but I'm older. So I think, you know, there's this fairy tale that still exists of the, you know, the knight coming to save us. And then I think girls, you know, play with baby dolls. They want to grow up and be a mommy and have the white picket fence. And so if you have this knight in shining armor that can go to work and you can stay home and raise the kids, it sounds ideal mm-hmm. until you figure out your knight in shining armor's wearing tinfoil. Yeah. So, um, you know, do, that's just an opinion. Why do I think it's more women than men? Um, I also think that in this part of the country, um, the homosexuality community, the, you know, that community mm-hmm. is not maybe as accepted in southeastern Indiana and so maybe some people in that situation aren't as open Mm -hmm. they may have people speaking um, untruth to them maybe Mm -hmm. things like they deserve it Uh, and and maybe even to women as well but I do think that women are a little more forthcoming Mm -hmm. than men are in relationships have you have have you had main cases? I personally cases? have not, but I do know that both Safe Passage and Safe Place absolutely mm-hmm. have. So. Well, and it sounds like so much of it is affected by the culture that we live in and what kind of becomes normal or these ideas of what should be a relationship or what you know, somebody can do to get help and things like that. I know something that we see with safe places a lot is that we don't have a lot of male clients either because it's not normal necessarily for men to seek help. It, mm-hmm. It's something that's considered weak. Weak, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And we do know, statistics absolutely prove Um, that men in heterosexual relationships, they are also abused. Mm -hmm. I actually um, have two friends that I know were in abusive relationships. And um, I have several other that I would venture to say, hey, dude, friend, you know, the way she's treating you is not right. If it was a woman, everybody would be like, that's domestic violence. But as a man, you have this kind of, toughen up and man up buddy and um, domestic violence is domestic violence regardless and no one deserves to be treated that way absolutely and I get this mental image in my head of when you talk of that this video that we show to our high school students yeah um, yes we show the Taylor Swift blank space um, music video mm-hmm. which is this video of Taylor Swift, you know, cutting up this guy's clothes, burning his stuff, taking his phone, um, physically harming him and, you know, verbally attacking him. And when we watch those things and when we look at them with the high schoolers, 
you know, it seems so normal for that to be considered as something that's just, you know, maybe not the best relationship or maybe she's just mad. Um, but that's abusive. And if that guy were to go to the police and report it, you know, it, it would be challenging. So we understand why it's hard for men to come forward. Absolutely. And uh, the property damage, everything you mentioned, um, those are all, my brain's just screaming, domestic violence, domestic violence, <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think sometimes they they get to write off, you know, well, she was crazy. Mm. You know, well, maybe, I don't know, there was some mental health issues, but what he experienced was still domestic violence, and there's still help um, to process through how to deal with what you've experienced, because it's not normal. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point that you bring up, too, with the, oh, she was crazy, because something that we hear a lot, too, is, oh, he just has an alcohol problem, or, oh, um, you know, she just has an anger problem. So mm -hmm. how is that the same or different than domestic violence? Well, they very well may have an anger issue. They very well may have a drug or alcohol addiction. However, lots of people do. And they are not abusive mm -hmm. and sometimes that that um, oh addiction that they are um, dealing with um, or maybe not dealing with I should say actually um, I, I would venture to say that many people have had just one drink too many felt a little tipsy and um, we know that that tends to break down maybe um, some societal good manners that we have, sure. some behaviors <laughs> that we wouldn't do if we weren't in that situation. And so it's the same thing with alcohol. It's The alcohol does not make them abusive, but it does allow maybe um, some freedom and choice to express something that's already there, mm. a feeling, a behavior. And it is then, therefore, a great excuse. Mm -hmm. Well, I had too much to drink. Well, maybe you did, but you chose to hit me, not your best friend that you were out drinking. You didn't hit any of the guys. You came home to do this to me. And so that's, that is the thing with domestic violence, is that that abuser with the power and control is making a very specific intentional choice of who to be abusive to. Do you think the abuser can change his behavior? If it's a, a guy who is abusing a woman. Sure. For example, if it's a guy abuse a woman one time, do you think and that person regrets, you know, and asks for forgiveness, do you think that person can change or uh, I think that that's a very um, taut tightrope to mm -hmm. walk. One time, a mistake. I've made mistakes in my life. I've been mm -hmm. forgiven for things. I would never want to be judged on some of the mm -hmm. one-time mistakes. What we look for is a pattern a of pattern. behavior. And when that pattern of behavior exists, um, they really need that. That abuser needs a lot of help to choose to change and to learn how to make different decisions. And that pattern of behavior may be in a series of relationships. You know, the previous mm -hmm. girlfriend yeah. said he did that to me too. 
his ex-wife called and said, I can't believe you're with him. Um, so it's that pattern. It may be just in your relationship, but very often we can see um, some of the questions we ask are about the abuser's childhood. Did they witness domestic violence? Were they exposed to neglectful parents? Because those are all hallmarks of somebody learning what they perceive as normal in a relationship. If mom and dad hit each other all the time, then I guess that's just how mom and dads act. They stayed together. And so if it's a learned behavior, you know, yes, I, I want rose-colored glasses that tell me people can change. So, but um, I do believe they have to understand that they have a problem and they have to seek that help. So back up, you're saying that people become abusers in their childhood. Um, I think that people learn behaviors from mentors. I think that lots of things can cause abusive relationships. Mm. Um, but it can certainly be a generational legacy and mm -hmm. families of learned behavior. I don't I think there's lots of people that witness domestic violence that did not grow up to be abusers. They made that personal commitment. I will never treat another person the way I saw my mom treated or my dad or the way I was treated as a child. Mm -hmm. And um, so, no, I don't think a poor childhood makes them. Sure. It's not an excuse. It is always a personal choice of power and control that is perpetrated against a victim. So I'm thinking of, you know, all of these generations upon generations upon generations that kind of build this unhealthy domestic sure. violence relationship and obviously domestic violence is so widespread I think it's one in four people experience sure. yes, domestic it is. violence yeah that's standing in the checkout line going one two three four that is one two three number. four that's a huge number and, and yeah. I know I saw a statistic earlier today that domestic violence affects more people than like breast cancer and heart disease combined and yes. so it, it's just a huge, huge number. So how do we change that? How do we create a different generational legacy? I think um, one of the things that I'm really proud of working under the Safe Passage umbrella, and you guys are safe place, we have an entire prevention team. They go into the schools, they talk to kids, and they start talking at a very early age. You mentioned the Taylor Swift video. So we yes. start at this early age saying, this is not okay. You know, and one of the things, you know, in sexual assault world, you know, one of the big things that in um, child sexual molestation, we talk about good touch, bad touch. Mm -hmm. And um, it's the same kind of idea. That's not a healthy relationship. That's not how people treat each other um, that care for each other. And um, so how do we break those generational things? I think we talk about it just like we are here. Like, yes, we do talk about this. Because if it's one in four, just look out your front door. You've got it. You, most people in America will have four houses in their area. Look in the grocery store line. Look in the line as you're dropping kids off at school. Domestic violence has no boundaries. 
It's not bound by financial status. It's not bound by education. It's not bound by color of our skin, what church we go to. It absolutely has no boundaries. So anywhere you are, look around and count one, two, three, four, and you're standing in the presence of domestic violence. Wow. Break the silence. That is huge. And I I would venture to say that most people, you know, if they're thinking of all of their friend groups, all of their neighbors, all of their family, that they wouldn't necessarily be able to identify who all has been affected by domestic violence. So how do we break that silence or what has become so sensitive or taboo about domestic violence that it's not talked about? Unfortunately, I think what makes it somewhat taboo is that the victim over time starts to have a sense of responsibility in it. Mm. They don't realize that they are a victim of a crime. They think, if I could only do more, if I had dinner ready on time, I should have just switched over the laundry. If I would have just brought the remote to them when they asked for it, it wouldn't have... I knew he had a bad day at work. So there's this sense of ownership and responsibility of it when you understand the truth of it. You know, they made a choice. If they would have said to one of their friends, hey, hand me that remote, and they go, you know, get it yourself. But the victim who they choose to abuse knows if I say get it yourself, what's going to happen. So I think that um, through this recognizing some of the red flags of domestic violence, um, that power, that control, um, that feelings of shame and guilt, the feeling of maybe being cautious because you're in trouble when you're around that person, recognizing those things, and then just being observant of your friends. That, that's how Safe Passage started. It was four really good friends. And one of them got a phone call and had to leave. And the other three women were sitting there for the first time. And each of them knew little pieces of Mm -hmm. their friend's story, but they were kind of holding it out of respect for her. Mm -hmm. And once she was out of of the, the room with them and they all started to talk, they realized very quickly their friend was in a domestic violence situation. So, um, you know, we hear that if you see something, say something. And women are very intuitive as well. And so I say that because I'm a woman sitting here. If you feel something's not right, it probably isn't. So um, it doesn't mean to gossip or start a rumor about Mm -hmm. it, but maybe say to your friend, you know, I'm really concerned about you. That just felt odd to me. It felt hurtful. I didn't like the way he talked to you especially in front of people. So, um, you know, if they are comfortable going that close to abuse in front of other people, imagine what it's like behind closed doors. Wow, that is incredibly powerful. And especially, you know, what stood out to me when you were talking about that story sure, is that instead of saying, why didn't she just leave? You know, these friends are helping to talk about it and really dive into how to help and I think that often that's where we run into issues is you know there is this idea of oh why didn't she just leave or there's not this understanding that this person isn't just in a bad relationship 
that they can leave. They're undergoing psychological torture. They're maybe being threatened. They may have some Stockholm syndrome going on there. Absolutely. That is a real thing. That is a real thing. Um, and there are so many factors that are just so much more insidious than you can even wrap your head around. Yeah, and part of domestic violence is isolation from friends mm. and family. So um, the family may have said, I don't like the way he treats you. And he may be saying when they get home, your mom hates me. Oh, so you're going to go over there now? Why? Well, now she's just going to talk about me. So, it, again, these feelings of maybe um, I have to choose. And then mom may say, you need to leave him. If you don't leave him, don't come crying to me. Where those sound like empowering kind of like I love you so much. But um, what it does is it creates isolation. And so they feel like they can't go back now. Mom told me not to call now. Uh, or it may be, I'm so embarrassed that I let it go. How did it get this far? Mm -hmm. That I'm just embarrassed to say anything to my family. Um, there's a stigma. There's a stigma. Yes. And so that isolation is huge part of domestic violence. Wow. Yeah. So, and we do have, um, you know, this is kind of down in another little trail here, but whenever we are attracted to someone, you know, we, we met this person, we're attracted to them. Uh, they didn't abuse us on day one. There was something mm -hmm. good in the beginning. Um, our brain releases some hormones mm -hmm. and they're happy, feel good hormones. And when we look at that person, we feel happy. And um, over time, for survival, that's how babies um, have attachment to their parents. And over time, that chemical drug, if you will, um, but that hormone in our brain is released. And that's why it is. You feel sad. You feel lonely when you're away from them. And you start telling yourself, well, it might not be that bad. And if I could only you know, get the house cleaned up, whatever it may be. Um, but some of it is um, some, the way our brain is designed to work for survival. However, there are other people that can help us survive. I love that you brought that up. And that's actually something that we talked a little bit about in our last episode. Oh, yeah. We, we talk about singles here. Yes. We talked about some of those um, chemicals that release when we're with somebody else and different ways that we can release those chemicals on our own. Absolutely. Um, or relearn things. We talked a little bit about attachment styles, too, which yes. I think feeds into what you were saying of what may be modeled for us and our families. Yes. So, you know, a lot of times we see if somebody was domestically or sexually abused in their childhood, they either throughout their lives, they've learned that that's what love is. Absolutely. And so we kind of see this pattern over and over until we relearn what an actual healthy attachment is which is very possible to do. It is very possible to learn. And um, I, I think that, you know, an interesting word that I hear often is my soulmate. Mm, and, yes. and then I say, oh, how long have you known him? We've been together, uh, you know, on the 
15th of this month, it'll be three weeks. And I go, uh, okay, so it's been three weeks. They're your soulmate, and you're already in an abusive situation. <sighs> that is not how we were designed to live our life. Um, you know, and it may be longer than that, but um, you're right. Some of those chemicals, we need to learn um, some of those tools in the toolbox. And some people show up here with an empty toolbox. They just were never raised um, to understand what that looks like. So we try to get a toolbox together, repack it with some of the right healthy boundaries and skills and uh, send them out the door. Yeah. So, so do you think that uh, we can prevent domestic violence through education? What other forms do you think we can help to prevent domestic violence? Uh, I, I tell you, every day I get out of bed, Irina, and I <laughs> hope that I'm going to show up and they're going to say there's no more domestic violence and you have to go file unemployment. Um, unfortunately, the statistics in the state of Indiana alone from 2018 to 2019 did show increases. Um, I, I think we live in a, in a broken world, and yes, education is very, very important. Um, I, that's Again, I'll say I'm so proud of the prevention program and the prevention team that they go in at an early age, again, ho hopefully planting seeds where when they are in these relationships, they can look back and go, no, this is not normal. I'm not going to do this. Um, I, I, I wish I had an answer for that because I would definitely put it into the universe for <laughs> it to end. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about the situation with domestic violence through the COVID? Mm. Absolutely. So, um, you know, COVID has completely rocked our world. It's changed our lives, mm -hmm. created a new normal. And the issue that we saw in domestic violence, you know, right away when it was mandated, the people were working from home and losing jobs. In the domestic violence world, we reacted immediately like, oh my gosh, they're going to be with their abuser 24 yes. hours a day. We are going to be so busy. And what we learned is that our hotlines kind of went silent and it was terrifying. And what we learned very quickly then is that people that are in abusive situations, because of the stigma that Nicole mentioned, because of the secrecy of it, they wait till the abuser maybe goes to work. They wait till the kids are in school so that they can have um, some privacy to discuss it. That privacy did not exist anymore. And they were just trying to survive with kids in the house and people not working and the stress of no paycheck. And um, unfortunately, what we initially started seeing was some actually more violent cases where law enforcement was involved. And we appreciate law enforcement. We work as closely as we can when they come across a domestic violence situation um, and they reach out to us. You know, we get involved as quickly as we can. All our services are voluntary. So we get as involved as the victim will allow us. But we are seeing as um, things have become, I guess COVID has become a more accepted, I hate to say way of life, but a, a new normal for mm -hmm. us. And maybe some kids are back in school. Some people are back to work. We are seeing people reach out to the hotline again um, 
We do have residential services. If people do need to flee a violent situation, we can house them. But um, our non-residential services where people maybe just have questions uh, or do have a safe place to live that they don't need shelter, we are seeing those non-residential numbers start to um, tick back up again. Could you tell us a little bit about the non-residential and residential services? That, Absolutely. That safe Passage Yeah, offers? so Safe Passage has a shelter in the southeastern Indiana area. We have six suites, um, which are basically private bedrooms with a private bathroom. We do have shared kitchen facility and shared living area, but um, we can accommodate up to 30 people there, men, women, children, whoever needs um, to seek shelter. Uh, so we call that our residential services. And we have full-time case managers there in shelter. We then um, assist those residents to transition into what we call non-residential. So they don't need to live in shelter. They may be able at that point to get their own apartment, their own housing, which of course is always a goal um, or they may have family members that they're able to stay with until they can start making some healthy decisions, start figuring out what they want for themselves. And we call that our non-residential services. And um, we're available in six counties for non-residential services. So. That's great. Yeah. How might someone get connected with services? Well, um, I think the easiest way is to initially make the phone call. And like I said before, that's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, every day of the year mm -hmm. hotline. That number is 1-877-733-1990. And like I said before, I'm very, very proud that that number is going to ring into our shelter. It's going to be a girl I work with every day, a girl whose face I know, who, um, you know, we share life together. I'm very, very proud that you aren't going to go to some national hotline. It's going to be a one-on-one -on -one personal phone call. Um, we also have a website available. It's Safe Passage Inc. for Incorporated, safepassageinc.org. And you can um, see pictures of the inside of the shelter. You know, if that's a little bit scary for you, you can kind of orient yourself. You can see our services available there. Um, and if, just in case you are ever in a situation where you are trying to check out the page and someone unexpectedly walks up, we have an emergency exit button. So as soon as you click that button, that page shuts down. Um, so, you know, we try to think of the victim's safety in all situations. I love that. And something that I want to say too is as somebody who calls hotlines all the time and who calls our own hotline yes. constantly, um, sometimes it can feel a little bit scary to call a hotline, especially if it's your first time calling somewhere. Um, in general, sometimes I feel like there's a little bit of phone anxiety sure. these days. but. Honestly, I always have the warmest, fuzziest feelings whenever I call our hotline or our helpline. You know, it's always someone that I work with, like you said, very closely, yeah. um, and they're just like the nicest ladies. They are. Um, and they just, you know, greet you warmly and ask what you need and things like that. And it's super easy, super um, 
super warm, fuzzy, amazing. So I just want to give that kind of assurance to Absolutely, to listeners out there. And um, you, you can call regardless if you're looking at a domestic violence situation or a sexual assault situation. Those advocates are trained to um, work with both uh, situations. They have years and years of experience Mm -hmm. and um, they're just great people. They're going to sit there and talk to you. Even if you just have questions, you know, my, I think my sister might be in this situation. What can I do to help her? You know, I think my sister might be in this. Can, can you call her? I'm going to be real honest with you. We cannot, our services are Mm -hmm. voluntary. The victim needs to call because it's their choice and um but the great thing about that is they're 100 percent free they will never ever get a bill from us and they're absolutely confidential we are bound by federal laws that um, we maintain confidentiality even in court systems so anything you tell us it's the safest place you'll ever have to tell your story and to get help and the other thing that i really love too is that we have folks answering the hotline 24-7 and it's not like the people who are on staff in the middle of the night are you know sleeping and you're gonna wake them up no they're up the entire night so you're not gonna be bothering anybody you're not waking anyone up there's no need to worry they are there just for you absolutely yes So something that I want to touch on briefly, too, is because we are a podcast from a sexual assault center, some of the intersections between domestic and sexual violence. We've had a little bit of a social media series going on, but I want to get your perspective as someone who works more closely with the domestic violence side of things, what some of those intersections might look like. Um... And I know I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, yeah, but that's okay. I I just think that, um, you know, people want to put sexual assault and domestic violence in two separate categories, and they are kind of walking the same path, holding hands. Mm -hmm. It's very hard, very hard to separate, um, especially if you think that person that is abusing you, that you love them. And um, the one thing that, um, you know, any sexual act, if there is not full consent, it is sexual assault. No marriage certificate says it's okay. Once you say no, regardless of how far into the act it is, once there is a no, that means consent is withdrawn and um, it is now sexual assault. In the state of Indiana, a marriage certificate does not allow for sexual assault. So um, domestic violence, some of the abuse um, that we see is um, after that cycle of violence that we talked about, the honeymoon phase, sometimes the sexual assault occurs there. I'm so sorry, baby. I love you so much. Let me show you how much. And, um, you know, and the, the victim may not feel like it, but they feel that intimidation to go through with it. That is not consent. That is sexual assault. Um, you know, she, that, that pressure to perform. Um, you know, one of the things we talk about is being 
forced to dress in a certain way. Mm. And when I ask people very often what they think that means in sexual assault under domestic violence, um, it's that power and control. He wants you to dress a certain way. When I ask people, they say in a very revealing way mm. um, that, that she's not comfortable in. Well, it also means, it can mean a turtleneck and long sleeves in the summertime because I don't want anybody looking at your body. Or if you are showing any skin, you're just trying to attract other people. So um, those are all types of sexual assault that come under the domestic violence umbrella. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. It is Because people don't realize that. They don't. And when I say to them, you know, being coerced to dress in a way that you aren't comfortable, immediately you think of, you know, maybe a V-neck shirt that's cut mm -hmm. a little too low or a skirt that's a little too short or, or leggings or jeans too tight yeah and it it may be something even more covering mm -hmm. than that yeah. that yeah well and if you think about that that's control over someone else's body which Absolutely. is the basis exactly. of sexual assault yes yeah. yeah it is very hard to um to separate them mm -hmm. and i think that we know that um you know, of course, there are rapes that are random. You have no mm -hmm. idea who the perpetrator was. But most of the sexual assaults that we deal with are somebody you were in a type of relationship with. Mm -hmm. And um, it may have been domestic violence. But um, again, sexual assault comes down to consent. Yes. Does it exist? And in domestic violence, there's usually only one way of power and control. It's not an equally um, mm. compromising relationship. So mm. for me, it's very um, difficult to separate the two. No, that makes sense. And I, I want to bring up some statistics that sure. Regina had pulled. She's with us in spirit today, yeah. while not in person, um, because I just found these super interesting. Sure. Um, and then we can discuss it a little further if we want. But one of the things that stuck out to me the most is that women who are sexually abused by their intimate partners report more risk factors for intimate partner homicides than non-sexually abused women. That sure. was wow. huge for sure. me. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the more sexual abuse that's happening, the more likely that lethality, as we call wow. it, is right. going up. The more likely she is mm -hmm. to die in that relationship. Yes. And women who are sexually abused in their relationships are more likely to have long-lasting physical and mental health problems. So, you know, they may have more depression, more anxiety, um, and that's a huge thing, too. There, there's wow. such that yes. connection between yeah. the two. And that, that most intimate act that can be performed between two bodies. Yes. And if you um, were a victim and not in consent or in control of that decision, of course that's terrifying. Of course it is. That is a very normal mm -hmm. reaction to an abnormal situation that you've just experienced. 100%. Um, the last one that I, I highlighted this because I found it just horrifying. 18% um, of female victims of spousal rape said that their children witnessed the crime. 
Wow. Wow. I, I, I am dumbfounded, speechless, yes. and heartbroken. I am too, and I think it really feeds into that generational, generational legacy that we talked about earlier. Yes. Because if you're seeing that kind of abuse... Absolutely. And, you know, um, regardless of your human heart or you want to start looking at science, we know that children's brains aren't fully developed to understand consequences, to process the emotion of what they're seeing. So the trauma to that child. And, um, you know, if mom now is experiencing the depression, the anxiety, um, that child um, may not have the support system they have to fully process through what happens. So they'll make up their own story around it to be able mm-hmm. to um, process it and accept it. And um, if that becomes their new reality, their new truth, you know, um, we have a lot of hurt that we need to sort through to help those people. And, you know, we share these statistics not to have kind of a wow factor, not to trigger anybody, not to, um, you know, cause any sort of harm, but to show how pervasive this issue is and to normalize that this happens. And if it happened to you, we're here to help and we can work through that with you. Absolutely. And, um, we know how terrifying it is to take something that traumatizing to you and speak it into it makes it real to speak it out loud and um you know we know what a privilege it is for us to sit here Mm -hmm. and hear your story to partner with you in that healing process um we understand that and um it is a privilege, and we um, sit here. We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. We try. We do. So, I mean, I do want to leave us on a bit of a hopeful note, given that... Yes, please. You know, (laughs) our theme for this Domestic Violence Awareness Month is Power Up, and we are going to power up to create some change and to really be there to support the survivors in our lives. So, you know, what are any last things that you would like to say either to survivors, to friends, for anyone in the community? I think that um, you, it, it's an old saying, knowledge is power. We've mm. given you a lot of knowledge today. Um, even if it's just our phone number, that's knowledge. You have something in your toolbox now And um, we understand how hard it is. And we have ways to help. You don't have to make every decision today. Sometimes it's enough to tell one sentence of your story. Mm -hmm. But we are here. And we do know that the power, that's the power up. The power is inside you to make these decisions that are right for you. And to find your way, um, not today, but baby step by baby step, Safe Passage and Safe Place are here to partner with you. I love that. Yes, yes. excellent. 
Fantastic. So thank you for joining us today, Beth. Oh, thank you guys. You shared so much wisdom with us. Yes. And to all of our listeners, we hope that you've learned as much as we have about domestic violence today. We want you to share this with a friend, a neighbor, a family member, or just everyone you know. This is a subject that we need to talk about. It's important to spread the word about domestic violence, both this month and every month, so that survivors can get help, abusers can stop abusing, and to end the violence before it starts, creating that generational legacy of healthiness, happiness, and peace. We know that this is a heavy topic, so we would like to encourage everyone listening to take some time to take care of yourself today in whatever way feels right for you. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast and social media pages so you never miss an episode. And as always, if you need support, don't hesitate to reach out to our helpline 